When you look at human resources, the cause of Christ seems to be in shaky hands. The Apostle Paul tells us to take our eyes off the human resources and on to the power of God that expresses itself best through our weaknesses. One of the great problems of American evangelicalism is that we have begun to think that we can beat our foes through our own resources. Our Bible teacher Dave Woodson begins with a Christmas story to get us into the paradox that God moves the world through many shepherds and peasants and only a few great kings and queens. Augustus Caesar wanted to test or wanted to determine what his political clout was and one of the ways that a ruler does that is he finds out how many people are in his kingdom. And so just like David counted his troops many years before in the kingdom of Israel as a symbol of pride, Augustus Caesar, not knowing anything about biblical revelation, Augustus Caesar decided he needed to find out how many people that he ruled. And so he sent out a decree that all the world should be taxed and there should be a census taken. And the messengers went out from the city of Rome and Joseph and Mary had to proceed from Nazareth down into the town of Judea where Joseph was born into the city of David called Bethlehem. Herod, the wicked king, a half-breed, half-Jew, half-Indomian, one of the desert kingdoms to the south, Herod was ruling over Palestine at the time. If you would have asked him, he would have said that he was the Messiah. He would have said that he was the Lord of the kingdom. In fact, he was so jealous he was so intent upon keeping his kingdom that King Herod killed one of his sons after another. In fact, Dave Lowry and I, in, in intermediate history between the Old Testament and the New Testament, on tests, we're still trying to remember all the names of the sons that he killed because he killed one after another. He changed his will again and again because he was paranoid. He thought everyone was going to kill him. That was the man that was ruling over Judea over this kingdom of Palestine when a little baby was born. In the city of Jerusalem, just a few miles just up the road from Bethlehem, in fact, you can look from Bethlehem just over to the next hill, and there is Jerusalem. And in the first century, you could go to the palace of Caiaphas, a very powerful high priest, and the Sadducees and Pharisees were debating. Annas and Caiaphas and the ruling priestly family were debating all the intricacies of theology. They held the, the power and the prestige of the religious community. And so when the news came that a king had been born, the political rulers, Herod was frightened, but the truth of the matter is that most people just simply ignored it because it didn't come the way you would expect it to come. In fact, if I would have gone to the men in the street the night that Jesus was born, if I would have begun to interview, if I would have been interviewing people in the street and saying, do you think that 2,000 years from now people remember that a little baby was born in a stable of two Galilean peasants? What would they have bet that that would have become a reality? Now I want you to go back and I want you to think about that because that's an objective fact of history. There was a baby, a Jewish baby that was born of two Galilean peasants and he was born in very humble circumstances, no silver spoon in his mouth. 
No real prestige, no real power. The rulers that, that were at that time paid little attention to him. Who would have ever guessed that we 2,000 years later would be gathered together for one purpose, and that is to be sure that we bring all the praise and all the glory and all the honor and all the majesty to that Christ. Now, there were some people that listened that night. There were some shepherds that were keeping their flocks. There were some humble shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem, probably taking care of sheep that would later be sacrificed and the various temple sacrifices. That's why they were out in the middle of winter. They came and worshipped that baby. Some of you that do have doctorate degrees, some of you that do have higher education, some of you that do have political clout, some of you that are high-born can be thankful that the Lord said not many, not many wealthy, not many prestigious, not many high-born, because there were a few wise men that came to worship. But gathered together around the manger, our Heavenly Father orchestrated things so that from the very beginning, a microcosm of the Christian church would be there. And it would be composed of the lowly, the weak, the needy, those that would be considered ignorant, those that would be considered the have-nots. They gathered together around the manger the powers politically, the powers religiously, the powers socially did not even take time out to see him. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of believers that have lost sight of that microcosm of the Christian church. They've begun to think of themselves as being powerful. They've begun to think of themselves as having influence in their own strength. They've started to produce a new society. And they're talking about the fact that already they are ruling and reigning. They're already going to enjoy all the good things. And they've forgotten that Jesus in his first coming was born properly and fittingly in a stable. Because the whole point of the time period that we're living in is not for there to be distance between Jesus and the common people, but for Jesus to be able to go out among the common people. What the Christian church always does when it begins to lose sight of the stable is they begin to create an elite. They begin to create a new aristocracy. They begin to separate themselves from the world. And I believe it's very important that we all ask ourselves, have we forgotten like the Corinthians that it all began just around a common stable. Look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 16, the Apostle Paul begins by talking about the recipients. He talks about that God chose the foolish things to confound the wise. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, all of us were talking about family matters. Consider of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not many of you were by human standards wise, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one, absolutely no one, may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul, last week in our message together from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, talked about the foolishness of the preaching from a human standpoint. We focused on a rugged cross. We talked about a Savior who hung in ignominy and shame upon that cross. By Roman standards, it was a shameful criminal death. By Jewish standards, it was a death that was under a curse. We talked about the fact that talking about the Messiah, the crucified Messiah, was like talking about fried ice in the first century world. As Gordon Fee, the commentator, brought out that idea of the conflict and the, the paradox of the cross. And yet as I talk to you, and many of you during the week have sent notes and various things to talk about how meaningful it is for you to hear about the cross. And that's the miracle of the power of God. You see, to many of you, when you talk about the cross and you talk about a Savior who died for you, it's not foolishness at all. It's the very power of God. What the world considered to be lunacy, you have found out by a gift of grace it's the greatest gift that was ever given. The Apostle Paul said, Corinthians, and he says to us, don't ever get up on your high horse. Don't ever flow your banners out behind you. Don't ever get caught up in the pride of life thinking about how great you are because the whole thing is about a Messiah who was crucified. His second line of reasoning to try to bring the Corinthians down into humility and out of their angry competition in pride, his second thing was to get them to look at themselves. I want you to look at yourselves. As I look around the group, some of you have lost jobs. Some of you are barely clinging to your jobs. Some of you have gone way up in your companies and then you've come crashing down. The truth of the matter is there's not many of you that are wise according to human standards. Not many of us are wise. Not many of you are powerful. I don't see the governor of Texas here. I don't see the president of the United States here. The truth of the matter is most of us are just plain old Joes, just common people. In fact, I remember when I first came to Midlothian, I remember driving in. Midlothian is such a great, great place when you drive in. In fact, when I told Mary that maybe the Lord was calling us to come down here to live, one of the biggest fears she had was that we were going to have to live in some of the buildings as you come into this area. And we praise God for the people that live there, but it was a frightening reality coming from some of what we had seen. The truth of the matter is, like when, when the newscast came out and they showed our police department and they went looking across the railroad tracks there, a whole bunch of you screamed in bloody horror, man alive, look, at they're showing Midlothian, you know, this rural blue-collar town. That bothered a lot of you. Why does that bother us so much? Because all of us deep in our heart, every one of us, have this very deep-seated insecurity. We all want to be somebody. We all want to be important. We all want to be recognized. We don't want to be called that town that's out there by the Dallasites. 
You know the incredible thing about this, whether I'm here in Midlothian, whether I'm back east, whether I'm up in Strewn Lake, even in Manhattan. I was raised in Manhattan. You know New Yorkers feel exactly the same way? You think they're really prideful, but underneath they say, man, nobody likes our city. They think everybody gets mugged in this city. The whole economy is down the drain. New Yorkers are the most cynical people I've ever met and many times the most insecure people. You know why? Because the whole world is insecure. We're all trying to be somebody. The people that are somebody know somebody else who's somebody more than they're somebody, and therefore they're all concerned about the somebody that they might, might find that are better than them. And it goes on and on and on. Everyone wants to be somebody. I want to really share with you. Paul is saying, listen, you're all nobodies, and I'm a nobody. You see, Paul says not many of the wise will be called. Not many people that come to Christ are going to have PhDs behind their, behind their name. He says not many of the powerful politically are going to come to the Savior. And not many of the highborn. You know, the blue bloods, the old money. You know, you have the powerful people, the upper middle class, who have the money in their hands. And then you have the old blue bloods, the ones who have had money for 200 years and they compete together. The scripture says in all of that social high standing, not many, not many are going to be called. Now, some of you do have those positions. And the neat thing about Paul is he doesn't say that only the poor are going to get into heaven. Now, that's important. You see, we go to one extreme to another. One time, we think that, we, you know, that the rich are the ones that really are the influencers or the ones that are really with it. And then we switch gears completely and we go into total poverty. In fact, today, there's a very strong movement in the Christian church around the world that God is with the poor. And they, they make poor, being poor, an elite position. You know, if you really want to get with it, you've got to wear very old clothes and live in a shack, then you're really going to be with it. You know what I love about Paul? He doesn't get caught in either one of those traps, either the wealthy trap, the influence trap, the power trap, but he also doesn't get caught in the poor trap. See, the truth of the matter is, is we're all here together. It doesn't make any difference before God who we are from a human standpoint. Isn't that great? It doesn't make any difference at all to God who we are from a human standpoint. It doesn't make any difference where we're from, what family we were born into. God isn't into titles. That's the freedom that you have when you gather together around the manger. You see, when shepherds gather together with a few wise men around the birth of Jesus, everybody needs to get down on their knees because in contrast to the greatness of that king, all of our human wealth and prestige and power is nothing. Do you believe that? Say something. You don't have to be so quiet. Do you believe that? That around the manger, around the manger, there's no highborn, because no one's as highborn as the Son of God. There's no one that has power like Him. There's no one that has wealth like Him. Isn't it incredible that someone is highborn as the Son of God? Someone as powerful as the one who threw the stars into space. And someone who had wealth that in his city they paved the streets with gold. Isn't it incredible? That instead of being born to Caesar Augustus in Rome, he was born as a little peasant child to a lowly couple. You see, from the very beginning, God always does all things well. 
And in the first coming of Christ, God wanted to tabernacle among us. The prince was going to become a pauper because it's the only way that you can really find out what's going on in the kingdom. And it's the only way that you can give the subjects of the kingdom a freedom to choose. You see, when you ride through the streets in your chariot and your horses with a herald proclaiming your title, no one has choices about whether to bow or not. If you don't bow, you get your head lopped off. The only way to give people a choice is to come and live among them, to be like them. And that's what the Son of God did for us. And the gospel has never moved away in this first coming of Christ to stress that not many of the wise, powerful, and influential will come. As far as the cross is concerned, it's all level ground. The Paul said that in verse 27, God chose the foolish thing of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Any of you feel weak? Does anybody ever here ever feel like you, you don't have the ability to do what you need to do? All of us do at one time or another. That's, that's an abiding principle in our life. Aren't you so glad that in the real kingdom, the kingdom that really counts, you don't have to be beautiful? You don't have to have 150 IQ? Aren't you thankful for that? It's incredible. The king of kings says, I'm going to choose the weak people. You know, God goes out of his way to bring the weak into his kingdom. Isn't that incredible? That's just the opposite from what you get Every single day of the week. Turn on the tube last night. Do you ever notice how different the world is? But I want to share with you the unbelievable truth. God goes out of his way just to take common everyday people. Even weak people. The word that's used here is a word that's often used for sick. Well, God especially chooses the weak. What an illustration. You come into our church, we have sickness, we have problems, and one day the Lord's going to deliver us from all that. But in this dispensation, God has gone out of his way to choose those that are weak. He chose the lowly of this world and the despised things. And then he gets really, really bad. He says, the things that are not. Do you ever feel like you're a not? Anybody ever feel like you're a not? We all do. You know, there's an unbelievable feel in this verse. You know, God is the one that delights in causing something to happen out of nothing. You see, that's what happened in Genesis chapter 1. It says... In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was, and I'll just give you a little bit of Hebrew because it's so neat. It just sounds exactly like what it was. The earth was tohu vavohu. We used to debate about what that word meant. The earth was tohu vavohu. The earth was without form and void. It was just a blob of nothing. Just matter, you know, all kind of like a potter that takes a big lump of clay and starts molding it like that. And then God says, let there be light. And the whole universe comes ablaze with light. Unbelievable explosion of light. By the power of God. By the, just the miraculous creative power of God. And energy flashes into existence. You know, that's exactly what happened when you were born again. You see, when you were born again, you were sitting somewhere or you were standing somewhere or the gospel began to become reality to you and you understood that a Savior hung on the cross for you. You'd heard it maybe many times, but the time that the Spirit of God grabbed a hold of your heart and it became your own, and you came to realize He is alive. He did conquer death. 
And in that moment of time when you went from independence to Christ's dependence, just like God said, let there be light, God said, let there be new spiritual life in your heart. And He took something that was a have-not, someone that was a nothing, someone that was tohu babohu, someone that was without form or void spiritually, and just like that, He made you a precious child of God. And the neat thing about the children of God is they've got everything. We're going to learn that. We've got everything. We don't have to be intimidated by anybody. We don't, have to, we don't have to worry about whether we have money, whether we have position, whether we have prestige, because in reality, we have it all. And one day, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. And as I look at you, that really tests my faith. And as you look at me, it ought to test your faith. In fact, it's so wonderful. Most of you can't believe it, but it's true. And one day we're going to be ruling over all the universe and you're going to come up to me and say, boy, Dave, am I glad that you did open the book every Sunday and tell us what was in the book instead of what you thought would be reality because look at what we got. And we learned a little bit about it way back on that planet Earth when no one would have believed it in a million years. But it's true. Because God loves to cause something to happen out of nothing. That's what the man of faith realizes. See, the man of this world or the woman of this world is always trying to figure things out from a human standpoint, always trying to get enough brain power, always trying to get enough material power, always trying to get enough of social power to be able to pull off what he wants to pull off. And the, the truth of the matter is that God does his thing anyway. And God works, and in salvation, he brings the lowly, the have-nots, to the foot of the cross, and they become the children of God. Now, what did we receive? What I want you to do this week is I want you to boast about Christ. You know, usually in church we're saying, now don't boast. Don't be prideful. It's really hard. You know, I love to see parents. Well, my kid really did really good. A lot of talent there. The other parent is saying, man, alive, my kid didn't do so good at all. You know, I don't know if I ever let the kid do it again. Boy, I notice in our parenting, boy, our pride gets as high as a kite. You know, you relive all the things you couldn't do. I used to do terrible on SAT tests and everything. I always tried to figure it out. It's so complex. I'd only get a quarter of the way through the test because I was philosophically trying to figure out the first ten questions. My sons whipped through those tests like it was nothing. Boy, am I proud of that. We as parents fill with pride. We all are. And then we start comparing our kids. Gets really intense, doesn't it? And that boasting can hurt. It can even divide friendships. Over the year, it can divide friendships. It can hurt us. I just use that as an illustration. There's all kinds of pride that can dissolve this group. And I want you to get this. Whenever you're dividing from fellow believers, now get this. Whenever you're dividing from fellow believers, whenever, whenever there's hatred in a church family, Whenever there's that pull, I just don't want to be with those people anymore. Man, they let me down. Whenever that attitude starts to creep in, it's pride. That's what's doing it. Now, we cover it up with a lot of other things, but it's our pride. And our pride gets us hurt, and it gets us very much involved with ourselves, thinking very much about ourselves. I ask you to join with me. Let's boast about Jesus Christ. Our time is up for today, but I think that's an excellent place for us to break in and conclude our study. This focus on boasting about Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good definition of what genuine worship is? It's boasting 
in our risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Just recently, I had the opportunity to be able to hear men praising the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and the blood of Christ, which gives us forgiveness, glorifying the fact that Jesus Christ has conquered death, to be able to sing some of those great old hymns like, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What an incredible thrill that was. In fact, if we just could add the ladies, we would have a little foretaste of heaven. And what a thrill it's going to be to be able to gather together around the throne of our Father and of the Lamb, and through the power of the Spirit, the perfect Spirit, to be able to praise Him, to boast in Him forever and ever and ever. He deserves our glory. And so as you take a look around your church, and as I look at my own life, I realize that there's not many of us that are wise, not many of us that are wealthy, not many of us that are powerful, but praise God through what Christ has done for us. We, that even though we're weak, we become poor. And we become the elite of heaven. And it's all because of his amazing grace. I trust that you've received that gift of amazing grace. I trust that you have come to enjoy and to know the true gifts that can only come through Jesus Christ.